Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. My name is Hana Lee. I am president of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief at Hana Lee Communications and a food and beverage writer. As a journalist myself and Hannah as a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its impact on someone's career and business. That's why we launched our podcast to help our industry rebuild and rebound by interviewing top journalists who share their insights and tips for gaining the media's attention. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Katie Lockhart. Katie is a travel and food journalist who's traveled to 50 countries in all seven continents. She writes for National Geographic, Rachel Ray, CNN, Zagat, Afar, and many other top media. Katie currently lives in and reports from Vietnam. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So you are zooming in from Vietnam, uh, which is one of our favorite countries, but uh, you used to living in Brooklyn. So what made you move halfway around the world? Yeah, so uh, I wasn't supposed to be living in Vietnam, technically. Um, my boyfriend and I have been traveling around Asia for almost three years now, and um, we were supposed to be in Vietnam for three months, but it's turned into 13 months now um, <laughs> because of the pandemic. Uh, but yeah, we're so, so happy and so lucky to be here. Um, and uh, I was living in New York and I was working in television, um, but I was, you know, I had a journalism degree and I really wanted to pursue journalism. So um, I was like, I'm going to kind of take this risk. Um, and move to a place that was more affordable to kind of launch this new career path and also offered me a lot of opportunity for, for really great stories. Vietnam is a beautiful country, so yes, not a bad amazing. place to be. <laughs> yeah, if you have to be locked down anywhere, Vietnam is certainly a, a good spot. Totally. So we, we understand that uh, Vietnam normally attracts 18 million visitors a year. So from your experience, how has the hospitality and travel sector been faring under COVID-19? So yeah, Vietnam has handled the pandemic incredibly well. Um, the government leaped into action pretty much immediately. And so Vietnam has fared inc incredibly well in terms of their economy. They're one of, I think, only three countries in the world that have a positive GDP this year. Um, however, I am based out of the tourist town of Hoi An, which is, is beautiful and it's amazing, but they are really struggling um, just because of lack of tourism. So lots of hotels, um, restaurants and cafes have closed down. And um, that's been that's been hard to see. But uh, people here are, are very, very resilient. So they've been able to cope. So speaking of resilience, what, what kind of innovations are you seeing in the travel and hospitality industry in Vietnam that you think could inspire our listeners globally? Yeah, so they're really amazing at just pivoting and just kind of sucking it up and doing whatever they need to do for the greater good. Um, one of my friends, Chang, she owned a, a clothing company that was geared towards tourists. So they would go and dress up and, and they'd walk around town and they'd take photos with these like beautiful, you know, um, ancient costumes on. And um, so she had to close that down, of course, because there's no tourists. And um, she started a nut company uh, called Nut Oi. So now she sells like 
macadamia nuts and walnuts and stuff around town and and she's doing really well so you know she's she just sort of like saw an opportunity um to change her business and and it's worked out for her that's great that's an interesting story so you've traveled to so many countries um i believe over 50 countries in all seven continents. Mm -hmm. And so in a travel and leisure magazine article, you describe yourself as um, living out of a suitcase before the pandemic. So what do you like most about travel? Um, what I like most about travel, I think, is just how exciting it is. You know, when you land in a new airport and, you know, you get into a cab and you start to see like a new place for the first time, everything is new, everything is exciting. Um, and for me personally, uh, new food is really exciting. So I've got a whole list of, you know, street food vendors and then Michelin star restaurants to try. And, and that's one of the things that excites me most. Yeah, same here. Whenever we travel overseas, we go to a supermarket first to check out their local produce and um, specialty foods. And you get to really learn about, uh, you know, the local culture that way. Definitely. So when it starts to feel safe to travel again, what country will you visit first and why? If anywhere in the world, once it's totally safe, I really want to go to Namibia. I think just the tented lodges there, like in the desert, and the, the landscape is so stark and gorgeous. Um, and also those those dunes, and they have the kind of like dead-looking trees juxtaposed in front of them. It's just, it's amazing. One day, that's on our bucket list as well. For sure. <laughs> so you write for so many different publications like Rachel Ray, National Geographic, CNN, and many more. And each publication has a different audience, as we all know. So can you tell us how different they are and also how you are customizing your stories? For example, uh, what is the difference between Rachel Ray and CNN? Yeah, so I guess when I start to pitch a story, I first the first thing I do is I go to the website and I see what they have the most recent articles are and how they're formatting them and and sort of the tone of them. And then I can customize my pitch um, to that. And typically when it's like a more newsy story, uh, I, I pitch CNN first um, so I can sort of get that scoop. Uh, and then for more, I guess, fun kind of interesting evergreen stuff. I, I like to pitch Rachel Ray. And then within the writing process itself, um, you know, the tone for something like CNN is kind of more research heavy and, and more fact-based, um, where of course, I mean, Rachel Ray is still fact-based, but it's a, a much lighter tone and more fun and, uh, you know, not afraid to use exclamation points and things like that. Um, so that's fun. So you're also right for Zagat. Mm -hmm. So Tell us about Sagat's stories, which features first-person narratives. Yeah, and also how do you find these folks and what's the process? Yeah, Zagat stories is a really interesting idea. And when my editor first kind of introduced it to me and told me about it, I was like, oh, geez, okay. Um, <laughs> it was just really, really new and really different. Um, but it's essentially a conversation with someone and you cut out all the lines where you're talking. So it's just a one big, long, rambling story that they're telling you, but they're really just answering your questions. And so you have to kind of piece it together like a jigsaw puzzle so that it flows and that it makes sense. And, you know, when I have these conversations with these chefs or these hoteliers, they're an hour long. So it ends up being like 6,000 words cut down to 1,000. So there's quite a heavy editing process that goes into it. 
That's interesting. Yeah, they're really fun though. And um, they're very much based on a personal story. So it's not like a newsy thing. It's, you know, it might have an angle of the pandemic um, or how that's affected, uh, you know, a chef, but it, it ties in very heavily with their own story, what they're going through um, or their past. Uh, I focused, there was one I wrote with Simon Kim from um, Coat in New York. He was really great to talk to. Had so many interesting stories. I wish I could have made it like 5,000 words. But um, <laughs> so a lot of it tied into his his upbringing in Long Island after moving from Korea, where he spoke literally no English um, and sort of, you know, his family history and his relationship with his father. So it's not just about like how your how your restaurant's doing right now. There's a lot of personal stuff that goes into it. And so I try to... Um, talk to, you know, PR people when they, when they introduce me to a chef, which is mostly how, how I get these story ideas is I come back to them immediately. And I'm like, can you tell me a really interesting personal story about them? Is there a really interesting, um, you know, upbringing or something that they're going through right now that they'd be open to talking to and are open to talking about? I mean, it makes it so relatable. And uh, I, I found Simon's story very moving. Yeah. So as you know, our listeners are amazing chefs, sommeliers, bartenders, hoteliers around the world who have great stories to share. So what steps can our listeners take to be featured in your stories overall? Yeah, I'd say, honestly, just reach out. Uh, since the pandemic, I've noticed that PR people aren't emailing as much anymore. Maybe they don't have something that's appropriate to to pitch. But I've found myself like doing calls on social media to be like, hey, pitch me stuff. Because if I don't have pitches, I can't then pitch my editors and I can't get paid. <laughs> so I'm like, please, uh, I need some new ideas. I need some new stories. So honestly, just send an email and, and, and don't be afraid, even if you're not, you know, repped by someone. What is your approach to finding a great story? And where do you get your inspiration? Some of my stories come from PR pitches. Uh, you know, something they say in one sentence will spark an idea and I'll be like, oh, oh, that's interesting. Can you tell me more? And we'll sort of like dig into that uh, angle and we'll elaborate on that a bit more before I, I pitch to an editor. Um, and of course, because, you know, I travel full time, a lot of my um, story ideas just come from travel and, and something I observe, like, you know, in a food tour, we might go to this one stall where this man has an amazing story about, you know, this duck that he makes or something like that. And that will kind of spark something that, could be, you know, a profile on him, or it could be a listicle of like amazing duck places in, you know, I don't know, Hanoi, something like that. So the economy is so different now and the pandemic has really affected travel, obviously. How much has that changed the types of places you feature and how are you able to cover them from a distance? Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and at first it was really challenging and sort of this whole new territory. Um, and I've been getting recently a lot of stories about different weekends coming up to sort of start to promote um, U.S. travel. <laughs> and, and in good conscience, I just can't do that. Um, so I'm like, you know, sorry, this isn't a fit right now. Uh, but because I've been in Vietnam and I'm one of the very, very few um, American journalists here, it's been a really great um, opportunity for me to pitch about the destination because unlike the rest of the world, Vietnam really isn't closed down. Um, it's been able to, you know, act as 
as normal, to be honest. And so I've been able to write a lot about what the experience is like here, new hotels opening up here. Um, so I've been very, very fortunate. You are also very active on social media, as you mentioned. So in addition to letting people know, pitch me and with your stories um, through your social media, how do you leverage social media? I um, have a lot of hotel content that I write. And so I do a lot of hotel stays. And it's a really great place for me to you know, showcase the hotel in a different light than you know, an article and to help promote the hotel um, on in a different way. So I, I really like to do that. And, you know, same for restaurants. I, I um, shoot as many, you know, hotel photos as I do food photos. And um, I also do uh, the swipe up feature for my stories when they come out. I like to highlight those so that people can can read them. And uh, yeah, it's become it's become a bit of a hobby, but a little bit of an obsession. And yeah, it's bad. <laughs> you and I have a same thing in common, <laughs> obsession on all things digital. And I see you also on LinkedIn. So how do you use LinkedIn for your work? Yeah, I actually love LinkedIn. I think it's a bit of a underused platform for journalists. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, I have a lot of connections through there and I get you know a lot of people reaching out. And I think, I think it's really undervalued. People, actually, a lot of journalists are like, Twitter is everything. I get so many pitches from Twitter. I get so many connections. And I'm like, I don't get anything from Twitter. I get everything from LinkedIn. Um, and so, yeah. And so I use um, LinkedIn to showcase my articles, of course. And I'm also, I also do copywriting and content uh, creation for different you know, hotel brands, different food and hospitality brands. And so I make a lot of my connections through there. Um, and sort of, and you know, have conversations on that platform. And again, I do, um, you know, PR calls. I'm like, if anyone has, you know, um, a female-based small business, please reach out to me. And I get a lot of um, a lot of PR pitches from those, which is super helpful when writing. Obviously, you're very, very digital savvy from Instagram to LinkedIn. So what advice would you give to our listeners on, let's say, using social media to promote themselves or their work to get your attention? Yeah, I think um, it's a great platform. And a lot of people really want to see kind of like a human connection. And, and I myself don't do this as much as I should. Um, but they want to know what's going on and they want to see, you know, the behind the scenes of a kitchen every day. They want to see the specials that are happening. Uh, and they also want to see like what you're doing, you know, on a Saturday when you're not in the kitchen. So it becomes sort of like essentially a diary and people want you to open up and kind of tell their lives. Of course, some people aren't comfortable with that. I'm, I'm kind of one of those people. Um, so I definitely understand that aspect of it and, you know, rather keep it just professional. Um, but definitely, you know, showcase what you're proud of um, and start to kind of cultivate, you know, a following, um, start to cultivate relationships with journalists, you know, follow us and, and, you know, say, hey, love your recent story or whatever, if you're trying to make connections that way. I think that's always appreciated. Do you mind getting DM messages? I don't, um, as long as they're polite and nice <laughs> and are genuine. Uh, you know, I can't just like pull a story out of anywhere. So, um, you know, if you're like, oh, I have a, you know, I have a new peanut butter. Can you write about it? And I'm like, well, what, what about this new peanut butter? <laughs> you know, like things like that. All right. So moving on to overall pitching, do you have any tips for our listeners 
who want to pitch their stories to you, especially if they don't have a PR agency on board. Do you have any do's and don'ts for them to follow? Yeah, for example, like this peanut butter guy. So what, what does he have to do to get your attention or potentially working with you? Sure. So um, I definitely prefer email to be in contact with people. It just helps me to keep organized. But send me an email, you know, introduce yourself. And for me, a don't is getting those kind of like, they almost like are like screenshots of images that are talking about something. And it's clearly a bulk sort of send and I just sort of ignore those. Um, so I definitely like a more personalized message. It doesn't have to be like, I saw your Instagram story and you're in blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. I just am sort of like, would like say, Hey, how are you? Um, I'm so-and-so here's my new, you know, blank. Um, and, you know, would love to send you samples or would love to chat with you more. Um, I think sort of just like on a genuine level, um, it goes a long way and it makes me, you know, more interested in hearing about the product. And I think a lot of people get intimidated to sort of put themselves out there. And I think, you know, you've got to just do it. If you don't ask, it's not going to happen. I think that is why we started our podcast to help those individuals who are a little intimidated, you know, and don't know how to get to the media, despite they have a, such an amazing story to share. So um, thanks for your tips. But quick question about the email pitch. So do you prefer short and sweet pitch or do you want them to write as much as detail possible? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think. Uh, short and sweet pitch with the main points, the most important things that you want me to know, because, you know, that's how I format my pitches to my editors. They're only a few sentences long. Um, and they just talk about th the major things. And if I'm interested, and if I want to know more, then, you know, I'll respond back and, and ask some follow up questions, and, and we could really delve into it. As you know, um, there's a lot of industry uh, professionals who are also great writers like yourself. So for those who want to break into, let's say, food and drinks, travel journalism, do you have any tips? Um, I think, again, one of my biggest tips is don't be afraid to get yourself out there and just pitch. I know a lot of amazing writers who have a list of dream publications. I would say most do. And I'm sort of like, but why are they just a dream, you know? Just just send out a pitch. Um, yeah, just do it. Just do it. <laughs> you, got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Exactly. And a lot of people are very intimidated, and I totally understand that. There's a lot of imposter syndrome in the industry, which I have myself sometimes. Um, so I definitely get the trepidation. But uh, that's my one of my biggest advice to people just starting out is they're like, oh, I want to work myself up to, you know, pitch travel and leisure. And I'm like, just pitch, you know? They're not they're – not, um, you're not writing about yourself. You're you're writing about a topic that they're interested in. So you're selling the topic. You're not selling yourself. Good advice. Good I love advice. that you are selling the topic, not yourself. I think that's really, really great tips because I think then it goes beyond you. It's not about you. It's about the topics that you want to share with the readers. Right. Don't, don't take it personally. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The old expression is, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will be the path to your door. Unfortunately, that's not the case. You know, you yeah. could build the best mousetrap in the world. You got to get out there. You got to you got to let the world know it exists. Correct. We call our podcast Hospitality Forward because we are optimistic about our industry and we know we're going to bounce back. 
So in your opinion, uh, Katie, are there any individuals or organizations that stand out for moving hospitality forward? Yeah, there are. There's so many, um, so many amazing people who are doing really amazing things in the U.S. right now. Um, one of the people that comes to mind is um, Chef Edward Lee, and he was, oh, yes. yeah, he was doing really great things uh, for equality in the kitchen before COVID through uh, the Lee Initiative. And then once the pandemic hit, he started to use his kitchen to supply meals for the community. And he was also one of you know the leading voices in, in getting the Restaurant Act um, passed. So I think he's a really, a really great person to kind of look up to. And also uh, Chris Williams out of Houston, he started the, the nonprofit Lucille's 1913. And um, I mean, I think now they've, they've served well over 100,000 uh, meals out of sustainable community kitchens um, to those in need. So that's it's really amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. And it's really just lovely to see. Yeah, there are a lot of beautiful people doing beautiful work for our industry, especially during this very challenging time. Yeah, a lot, a lot of silver linings emerging. Yeah, the more reason we love our industry because there are so many beautiful people um, try to help each other. Totally. And now for the listener question segment of our show, we have a question from Pete Weiss, marketing manager at Town Branch Distillery, the first distillery to open in Lexington, Kentucky, post-prohibition and a member of the famed Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Pete would like to know what you think the future of distillery tourism looks like and what they should do to boost their visibility to attract tourists. It's a really interesting question right now because in the industry, we're seeing this trend of basically non-alcoholic alcohol. So a lot of people are kind of doing, you know, of course, the dry January and and they're kind of cutting down on um, alcohol and and I had I did an interview uh, for Rachel Ray actually about this you know non-alcoholic bourbon uh, by three women that um, was started in Kentucky, and uh, that was really interesting. We found that uh, story very fascinating. Yeah, quite a, quite a uh, pushback. Yeah, yeah, um, kind of unsurprising down there uh, because bourbon and is so you know it's like a religion essentially. But um, so yeah, this is definitely a trend we're seeing. Um, and so I think to kind of set yourself apart, you do have to offer some non-alcoholic stuff for people because that is now very starting to be a big market. Um, and also creating a product that's different and interesting. Um, another article I just wrote for Rachel Ray, funnily enough, um, was about the first Native American distillery in the country. Yes. And they are making vodka and gin using whey which is a really interesting angle, a mm -hmm. really interesting selling point. Um, mm -hmm. and they're from also, Wisconsin, right? Was that yes, from in Wisconsin? Wisconsin? Exactly. Yeah, we thought it was a fascinating yeah. story. Yeah, and they also created something called Vodsky, which is vodka distilled in whiskey barrels. Um, so these huh. are both you know, very interesting creations that will help attract people, that will have people want to try um, their product. So yeah, I think it's, it's up to you know just being really innovative right now. So... Um, What's the best way for our listeners to reach you when pitching? So um, for pitches, you can email me. It's klockhart14 at gmail.com. And then um, my Instagram is findyourhappyplate. It's F-I-N-D-Y-O-U-R-H-A-P-P-Y-P-L-A-T-E. It's a, a long handle. But uh, yeah, those are the best ways to reach me. 
We love your Instagram. Makes us、uh, feel good about travel and food and drinks. So,、yeah, it's、you. been great speaking with you. And thank you so much for zooming in from Vietnam. And、um, hope to see you soon here in New York, in Brooklyn, or somewhere in Vietnam sometime soon. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Bye, Katie. Bye, bye. Bye. Hmm. I am already dreaming about Vietnamese egg coffee. Now that you know what Katie is looking for, please feel free to pitch her your story ideas, and of course, mention that you heard her on our podcast. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline as well, so please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues who you think would benefit from the tips journalists share on our show. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.